Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Good morning. Each Sunday, I, just as you, sit and listen to the messages that Father Justin and Father Everett share about the gospel readings and the other readings that Sunday over the five years I've been here at Christ Church. And I've come to know their styles. Father Justin is deeply entwined in Scripture, and his personality shares many stories in light in a light and somewhat jovial manner. And with his permission, I am calling him the jokester. (laughs) Father Everett is a very humble individual and one of the best preachers I've ever heard. He shares his theological knowledge in a way, many times through stories from movies and books, to bring the gospel or the lesson to our daily lives. I consider him a great scholar, an orator, and a leader. So that leaves me. (laughs) I'm not as experienced in theology as either of my mentors, but I do have many more years of life experience, and I do a lot of teaching. So with my engineering logic, I'm going to call myself the wise old man and teacher. (laughs) So, why have I started the homily in this way? Well, I started preparing for this about four weeks ago, and I read and I reread and I reread the gospel from Luke, trying to get it into my mind, the meaning that Jesus had for it. I also reviewed and read many, many commentaries on today's gospel. And almost each commentary says, this is one of the hardest readings in the Bible to understand. So with my best effort, I'm going to share with you what I have learned, thus being a teacher. In summary, the Gospel of Luke goes like this. The manager from the master is shrewd and likes skimming off the top. He likely requires those who owe the master to pay more than they are actually required to pay. The master believes that the manager is incompetent and he's going to fire him. The manager doesn't have any friends. He doesn't want to be left out in the cold, so he figures if he reduces the debt that the debtors owe to the master, he'll make friends and the debtors will take him in when he's fired. Shrewd. The master hears about what he's done and commends him for his shrewdness. In today's gospel, John says you can serve either God or mammon, but not both. Mammon, if you don't know, is defined as wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. Little teaching. Mammon serves as a personification for the acquisition of wealth, the most common god on earth, according to Martin Luther. Now, part of the 
irony, though not specifically stated, is that the manager was probably paying the master what he expected to receive, and the bump in debts owed was between the manager and the debtors. So the reduction debt owed was a cut in the manager's income. The second part of the irony is that the master likely was also not a truly honest person since he commended the manager for his shrewdness. Now, much of what I'm going to share comes from the consensus of all the commentaries that I read. This parable today is bracketed by two other money parables. The parable of the prodigal son and the elder brother and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the commonality is all three, in all three is that money is a problem. Today's parable shows that money can be used for gain, while in the other two parables, money can lead to ruin. The last two parables imply, though they don't expressly state it, that compassion for the poor in this life leads to eternal rewards. Today's parable is a short, fictitious narrative designed to illuminate a spiritual truth, usually with some unexpected twist. It was not intended to be an example story in which we're told to go and do likewise. Therefore, we need to be careful not to treat this as an example story. So I suggest that Christians today should follow should, fo- should not follow the example of the dishonest manager. In verse 4 it reads, I know what I will do so that when I am removed from my management, they may receive me into the houses. This is an important verse because it spells out the goal, manager's goal and it gives us a clue to the meaning of the parable. The manager intends... In the brief time that remains before his dismissal becomes public knowledge, to ingratiate, which means to kiss up to somebody, himself with the rich man's clients so that they will welcome him into their homes once he's out on his ear. Now, remember at the time in this culture, reciprocity is obligatory. If the manager does a favor for the debtors, then they will be obligated to reciprocate. While it's unlikely they'll hire him, they may show him hospitality or help him find a job. Thus his goal, not to become a beggar. Now let's look at what I first thought about the manager. Is he simply deducting the interest payments that are prohibited by Deuteronomy 23? Lenders had concocted ways to sidestep the prohibition of charging interest. So it would, be not un, be, it would not be unusual for the owner or the manager to charge interest. Or is he simply deducting his own commission? Scholars are divided on this point. A number subscribe to the idea that the manager is simply deducting his own commission because it seems improbable that the manager would commend the, the, the master would commend the manager for cheating him. However, the commission theory seems unlikely because first, the discounts were of 50 and 20% were so large, 
it would seem doubtful that the rich man has been giving the manager a 20 to 50% commission. Second, the manager has discounted one debtor 450 gallons of olive oil and another two to 300 bushels of wheat. If the manager could claim those commissions, they'd provide him a nice living for several years. However, it is possible that the rich man, having fired the manager, won't allow him to get his commissions at all. And then third, there's the question of whether the rich man could be charging an interest rate of 20 to 50% on borrowed money, especially given the Deuteronomic prohibition against usury at the time. It gets complicated. Therefore, it seems likely that the manager is cheating the rich man by reducing the amount that the debtors are obligated to pay him. The word of the rich man's generosity will soon spread, enhancing his reputation. But now the master is faced with two options. Either he's going to enjoy his newly enhanced reputation and accept the losses, or he's going to retract the discounts at the expense of his reputation and risk permanently damaging his relationship with his debtors. Either way, he loses. The manager has surely left the debtors with the impression that he's responsible for the deduction, leaving the rich man's debtors in debt to himself as well. Thus, under the reciprocity ethic, the debtors are obligated to reciprocate. All right. So if the manager were to transfer these discounts to his own name, he'd be jailed for theft. However, by making the debtors his beneficiaries, he's insulated himself from the charges of theft while making new friends who are obligated to help him in the future. So in the end, the rich man commends the manager not because of his dishonesty, but because of his shrewdness. Seeing the urgency of this crisis, the, man, the manager has built bridges to the future. Properly motivated, he's proved himself shrewd and decisive, not incompetent at all. And in the process, he's boxed the rich man in who can't rescind the discounts without suffering a loss of honor and creating bad will among the debtors. Phew. So, in this gospel, Jesus has a great deal to say about the dangers associated with money, which competes with God for our affection. Wrong attitudes about money can bring spiritual ruin. Nevertheless, it's possible to use money in Christ-like ways. This world prepares us for eternity and tests to see if we're willing to live by kingdom values. God gives us resources that not only provide for our needs, but also allow us to demonstrate our faithfulness to kingdom values. Remember last Sunday and the Sunday before when Father Everett asked if we'd given up all of our possessions to follow Jesus and nobody raised their hands? Well, I'm going to ask again. Did anybody give up all your money this week? Same answer. Jesus tells us to use our money and our resources in ways that will help us in eternity. 
The lesson of the parable is not that we should be dishonest, but we should use our every means of disposal to prepare for our eternal home. I have a book that I also read about this parable that rephrases the lesson. And it's summarized in three points. All of God's people will be called to give a reckoning of the nature of their service to Him. Preparation for that reckoning should involve a prudent, shrewd use of all our resources, especially in the areas of financing. And third, such prudence and shrewdness demonstrating a life of true discipleship will be rewarded with eternal life and joy. Preaching on a vivid parable in Luke 16 means Jesus means following Jesus into questions of how we practice neighborly love in economic relationships. In the midst of unjust structures, what is important is to situate the parable in the broader economic context of how Jesus was reviving village life by reviving biblical com- co- uh, covenants for economic life, forgiving debts, and giving people new hope in Luke. In Luke, or giving new hope. In Luke, the joy of the gospel is the joy of God's healing of relationships, including economic relationships. Jesus repeatedly warns that we cannot be disciples while accumulating wealth at the expense of the poor. The capstone to all this is that no slave can serve two masters. We cannot serve God and wealth. This reiterates the central theme in the Gospel of Luke. The kingdom of God entails giving up all other commitments, including the commitment to economic security. Luke places great emphasis on how the reign of God reverses the status of the rich and the poor. In Acts The commission community is one where disciples share all things in common, distributing to all as any had need. These texts cannot just be spiritualized. Luke is talking about a different way of using wealth. All of our wealth belongs to God and is to be used for the purposes of God's reign among us and not simply for our own interests. Amen.